You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How's everybody? Great. All right. There we go. Let's go ahead uh, and get to it. I pray that you're well. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Josh. If you're online, you don't know me, my name is Josh. I obviously serve as the lead pastor here uh, at Refuge, and I'm excited to continue our time in worship. I don't want to emphasize that, right? We're continuing our time in worship by diving into the Word together uh, today. And so last week, we finished our first of three sermon series focusing on uh, reintroducing healthy spiritual rhythms into uh, our lives, right? If you, um, if you haven't noticed, life seems like it's getting back to normal a little bit. Um, hey, Patrick, if you just want to actually, Callie or Jermaine, if you just want to switch me uh, those mics real fast, I think that'll be the best way uh, to handle this business real quick. Thank you, sir. You'll turn that one off, too. All right. There we go. Much better. Yeah, there we go. See, <laughs> got to come through clutch sometimes. You know what I mean? Uh, well, hey, as I was mentioning, if you haven't noticed, all right, we are kind of getting back. Uh, to normal life. We're slowly getting back uh, to pre-pandemic life. And I'm not saying there's not awkward moments still. I'm not saying that there's not those little scary instances where you're like, hey, I need to get a COVID test, right? Like my family just went through that this week. My wife is not here because our kids are sick. They're sick. Uh, And we literally were all like, we got to get a COVID test, right? Like, Like they're coughing. And so there's still those moments. But overall, right, you can feel that sense of change coming uh, where life seems like it's getting back to normal. And with this change, we're also reinserting ourselves uh, into normal rhythms, right? Like normal friendship rhythms. A lot of you guys have hung out. I think the Hunts had a bunch of people over to their crib the other day and they were playing games, right? Like rhythms of friendship, rhythms going back to the office. Some of us might have gone back to work recently and been like, oh, I haven't seen you in years. You're the guy that's been messing up my report. I'm just playing, right? (laughs) But, But you're going back into the office, Um, Maybe you're getting back into social rhythms, right? Maybe you are hanging out with different people or meeting new people. Maybe for some of you, this is kind of getting back to a new social rhythm, right? Because you're meeting people that maybe you hadn't met before. Yet in the midst of all that excitement, it's easy to lose track of the fact that we also have spiritual rhythms. That as all this is going on, we're called to jump back into Rhythms that lead us to Jesus and sustain us spiritually uh, as we move forward in our journey in faith. And last week, I say all that to say that last week we finished our uh, first of three sermon series, again, touching on these rhythms entitled Together Again, where we really focused on the rhythm of community, right? The fact that many of us had stayed apart for several, several months, some of us over a year, And so getting back into this rhythm of gathering together as a community of believers is something we're trying to get back into. And I know that was a blessing for a lot of us. I actually heard a lot of good feedback from that, and I'm encouraged by that. Uh, But I'm also excited to jump into our second of three sermon series covering rhythms, and that is uh, our sermon series entitled Follow Me. Okay, It's called Follow Me because we're going to be looking at the idea of discipleship, the rhythm of discipleship, what that actually means. Now, just using a word like discipleship, I know that there's probably a diverse set of responses that you're giving me right now. Some of you may be asking, well, we just got through talking about like getting together with community, right? And and in discipleship, really just like people getting together and friendships and meetings and things like that. Uh, Some of you are thinking, 
isn't discipleship more for like the experienced believers, right? Like this type of idea, right? Isn't, isn't discipleship like the, like the hardcore Christians do, right? Like not everyone does it, but just the hardcore Christians. They get together in little secret meetings and do the little secret Jesus stuff, right? And some of you are looking at me and you're like, bro, what the heck is discipleship, right? Like, so I know we got a, a wide gamut of responses here using a word like discipleship, and that's okay. That's okay. And hear me, while being discipled and discipling someone else, right, having these close-knit relationships where we're working with one another to try to follow Jesus more closely, while that's a part of discipleship, hear me, that's not quite what we're talking about because that's not the sum of what we're talking about. You see, in Scripture, the fundamental idea of discipleship is asking the question, what or who are you following? What or who are you following? More fundamental than actions or even weekly meetings, right? Discipleship at its core is the reality of following someone or something. It's the rhythm of giving yourself over to something and inviting that someone or that something to dictate our values, our schedule, our priorities, our ethics. And what that means, if you can't, if you can't quite see it, what that means is that right now, as we speak, sitting in here, we're actively being discipled by something. We're actively being discipled by something. And I don't just mean in this moment. I mean across the fullness of our lives, right? Right now, each of us has given ourselves over to something during this week, during this month, maybe over the course of our entire lives, and allow that person or that thing to influence our thoughts, our values, our ethics, our priorities. Some of us do this intentionally. Right? Maybe you got on the Marie Kondo train of 2020 while you're sitting at your house. Right? And so now you find yourself getting rid of everything that doesn't bring you joy. Right? Maybe you have watched a few Netflix episodes and your house is now empty because nothing in your house brought you joy. And so you've decided, I'm getting rid of everything. Right? Maybe that was you. But you've allowed that to say, okay, you know what? Marie Kondo is saying that if it doesn't bring me joy, get rid of it. I want a cleaner house. Tell me what to do, Marie. Right? We're coming out of a, a time where the phrase, you do you, was crazy popular. Right? That's a, I'm aging myself with that a little bit because I know that's not like super hot anymore. But I know the last time, right, three, four years ago, this thought of being like, you do you, was insanely popular. Right? This idea of being un- unapologetically you, no matter the consequences, that that was, that was at the root, the highest priority. That was the highest good, the highest value, just being your authentic self, no matter what carnage you laid uh, to rest behind you philosophies that our society tells us are good and that we should live by. And then we kind of adopt them and say, okay, shape and form my ideas of life then. So some of us do it intentionally like that. But hear me, sometimes we do it unintentionally. Nearly all of us in here, look at me, all of us in here have been discipled by our ethnic culture in some way. Whether you like enchiladas or meatloaf or whatever you're doing, right, you have probably been shaped and formed by your ethnic background in some way. Speaking as someone that is a Latino male, right, you automatically know that there's going to be certain things that are high priority. I've looked at my wife several times and been like, I don't know what you think we're going to do during the holidays, but I absolutely know that I'm not going to get out of a family gathering during the holidays because it's a priority that's been built into my life and to my mind as a result of my ethnic upbringing. Right? Some of us, hear me, some of us have been disciples, whether intentionally or unintentionally, of church culture, right? In healthy and unhealthy ways here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that churches have been perfect. But, but there's an example. Dating culture in church was a horrendously unhealthy thing for a long time. 
And people grew up with this idea that if I didn't get married or I wasn't married by a certain age and I was lacking something and something was wrong and I wasn't complete until I found that special someone. All these ideas swirling around the world, ideas that hear me, look at me, you interact with all the time that you interact with on TV, through podcasts, on the radio, in music, all these messages telling you this is how you should prioritize, this is how you should set up values, these are the things you should hold dear, and we're all just in this world absorbing this information. That's the reality of what you live in. And hear me, it, it begs the question for us to look at ourselves and simply ask ourselves a very honest question. What are you a disciple of? If I were to ask you that question, if I were to look at you and say, hey, what are you a disciple of? What, what in your world kind of comes in and begins to orient and prioritize what you should spend your time on, what you should not spend your time on, what's important, what's valuable? And hear me, maybe there are things that have been formative for you over the course of your life, like we mentioned, ethnic, culture, all that kind of stuff, but we... We also are currently, right now, giving ourselves over to things and being discipled and shaped during this season and this moment of our life, no matter how young, no matter how old. Right? That's the reality. Of course, if you're here, hear me out. Hopefully, you've decided to make Jesus a part of that discipleship plan, right? To allow him to have some say about your values, your priorities, your schedule. But what does that look like? What does that mean? That's what this whole time over the next few weeks is going to be about. If I'm allowing and inviting this person of Jesus to shape and form my values and priorities, to be a disciple of this Jesus, what does that look like? And what does it mean? As I mentioned today, we're going to start this series, and it's called Follow Me. And we're going to focus on what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. We're going to look like, uh, well, hopefully we'll look like Jesus, but what it means to look like Jesus and to follow Jesus in several different areas of our life. Uh, and, and to really consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus in those spaces. I'm excited about the next several weeks. I'm excited about what uh, the Lord is going to spark or re-spark in us, depending on where you're at, um, over the next few weeks as we work through this stuff. And today we're starting with a very basic question. Okay, we're kind of keeping it concise considering we had to introduce everything uh, kind of the next several weeks that we're talking about. We're going to answer, answer one pretty basic question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And to answer that question, I want to break it down into two questions handling each one of those words. Following Jesus, who is Jesus then? If I'm going to answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus, then I need to ask the question, who is Jesus? And then after that, I need to understand what does it mean to follow so to answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus, we're going to answer two more questions, which is, who is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow or to be a follower? To help us answer the question, as uh, Callie read, we're going to be in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, and I want us to read through that real quick uh, as we get started here. It'll be on the screen if you want to read along, uh, or if you're a super Christian and brought your Bible, feel free to open that up as well. Uh, starting in verse 18 in chapter 4, it says, As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were, uh, they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. As we move into our time together, if you would join me in uh, the short prayer from the uh, oldie but goodie Anglican tradition. Uh, It says, Father, uh, what we know not today, Father, teach us. Uh, What we have not, give us. Father, what we are not, please make us. For your son's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into this first question, right? Who is Jesus? Now, let me start by saying this real fast. Libraries are filled with books answering this question. So if you think I'm fixing to cover it in the next 15 to 20 minutes, I'm not going to do it justice. So we're not answering the full question, who is Jesus, right? You you didn't buy a seminar to take on this question. We're not going to be here for several hours. But, but what we want to do, what we can do is understand what Matthew wants us to know about Jesus up to this point. Remember, we're in the book of Matthew and Matthew is telling us a story He's been painting a picture of Jesus up to this point, and it's a picture that's meant to help us answer this question. If this man from Galilee asked me to follow him, would I? He's painting a picture because he wants to help you answer the question. If this man from Galilee asked me to follow him, would I? That's the question he wants us to start wrestling with at this point in chapter 4. And he's been painting this picture from the very beginning. In fact, he starts painting that picture of Jesus to help us answer that question from the very first verse of the entire book. In Matthew 1, verse 1, it says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And through these simple words, so much is said. So much is touched on. The very name Jesus helps us understand who Jesus is in the first place. His name literally means God saves. And so from the very beginning, Matthew is looking at you and saying, I want to paint this picture of Jesus. And the first thing that you need to know about him is he's the Savior. Jesus, his name literally means God saves. But in addition, Matthew backs it up and says, but he's the Messiah as well, because he says, this Jesus Christ. And hear me, as much as Christ sounds like an awesome last name, it's not like his last name, right? Josh Guerrero, it's not like Jesus Christ is the same as Josh Guerrero. This is a title that Matthew had given, that others had given to Jesus to indicate this is the anointed Messiah who's going to make all things right. Matthew, after that, then points us to the truth that Jesus comes from the line of David, right? He says, the son of David. David was the greatest king in Israelite history, helping us see that this Jesus, he comes from the royal line of, of, of Israel's kings, and he's worthy to take the throne as the true king of Israel. And then this verse ends by helping us see that Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham, the father of the Israelite people. So he's a true Israelite, not someone that's faking it. What an incredible one-verse introduction, right? One-one tells you so much about this Jesus, and Matthew is hoping and praying. If you just read these words, maybe you can start developing this picture, because I really want you to see this picture correctly. And chapter one didn't even stop there, right? Right after that, he goes through Jesus' whole genealogy, and hear me, he ends up using a bunch of different people from the Old Testament to begin to paint this picture that the whole biblical story up to this point was all about this one person. All these names that we had read through all these previous chapters now had all been in part of this story that culminated in them all coming to this one man. 
it was all about him. And then in the second part of chapter one, he keeps going on and goes, hey, in fact, but you got to know this about Jesus too. He, he didn't just become, he just didn't come out of nowhere. He was born of a woman, yes, but, but he was born through the work of the Holy Spirit in this woman, helping us see that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And Matthew ends this section saying, we call him Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. That after everything that had happened, when, when man had been separated from God through sin, that finally, all these years later, all these centuries, millenniums, whatever it is, that God had now re-entered the picture and was with his people again. And that's just chapter one. That's chapter one. Matthew wants you to, to answer the question. If this man came to you and said, follow me, would you do it? And recognize the person, the person that's asking you is not just a regular person. In one chapter, I've riddled off so much that, that you got to start wrapping your brain. To, to wrap your brain around it becomes difficult. And although I can't go through each chapter the way I just went through one, we're going to give the next two chapters a try. Chapter two, right, goes on and just says, hey, Jesus is the ruler over wisdom. When wise men of the world come and bow down to him, he goes into Egypt and comes out of Egypt. And he is the great rescuer that's going to start the new exodus. It's going to free God's people from sin and from death. And then we go into chapter three, where John introduces Jesus here in the book of Matthew. John the Baptist introduces this Jesus as the gracious king and the righteous judge. Verse 12 helps us see uh, when, when Matthew is saying that Jesus has come with his sickle to make everything right, right? That when everything had gone wrong through human sin, Jesus had now come back to make everything right and to judge the world in righteousness. But he's not just leaving everybody out. He invites everyone to repent and return to him. So yes, he's the righteous judge, but he's the gracious king. And then Matthew, after that, helps us see that, that this, this Jesus is not just God's new king, but he's also God's very own son. When Jesus gets baptized and then the heavens open, and God literally says verbally, out loud, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And right after that, he jumps into chapter four and shows us his whole new identity of Jesus where he's the new Adam, the person that's going to take uh, the, the mantle of humanity and do what we could never do, where, where humans had failed time and time again in approaching and being tempted uh, by temptation, right? Jesus is going to succeed and overcome temptation. When Jesus says, follow me, the me is so much more than we really can get our head around. And Matthew wants us to understand when we follow Jesus, it's more than saying I'm the follower of a new philosophy. I'm the follower of a new way of life. I'm a follower of a new culture or, or maybe a, a charismatic leader, right? Matthew's trying to paint this picture so we can say that when I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm actually saying that I'm a follower of the Savior, a follower of the Messiah, a follower of God with us, a follower of the ruler over the wise. I'm a follower of the great rescuer. I'm a follower of the gracious king. I'm the follower of the righteous judge. I'm a follower of God's very son, the new Adam, the light of the world, the hope for humanity. Are you going to follow that guy? That's what he's trying to pose to us in the picture that he's painting of this Jesus. This is the person that comes and looks at us and says, follow me. And it's critical to understand these truths. It's critical to understand who it is that's looking at you, who it is that's asking and petitioning, follow me. Because the call to follow, hear me, isn't an easy one. The call to follow is not an easy one. It's not as easy as being like, hey, if it don't bring joy, I'm gonna get rid of it, right? It's not as easy as that one. 
The call to follow this Jesus is challenging. And Matthew knew it was hard, so he wanted to anchor our hearts in the truth of who Jesus is when it came to answering the question, what does it mean to follow? Because if that's too hard and he ain't worth it, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. But Matthew is ready to paint the picture. When you answer the question, what does it mean to follow? And you look at that person, I want your heart to be ready to say, that's worth it, though. That's worth it. But nonetheless, what does it mean to follow? If we got who Jesus is, what does it mean to follow? And that's where our text today really begins to come out because it's, our text today is all about Jesus calling his first disciples, the first group of people that were going to follow him. And there's tons written here about whether like they had heard Jesus before or whether they had miraculously started following right now. But getting into all that, I think kind of misses the point Matthew wants us to see here. Right. Matthew, I believe, wants us to understand the basics of what it means to follow, what it requires to be a follower of Jesus. Right, the fundamentals of saying, hey, if you want to be a follower, this is what it looks like. And so he laces this story with these amazing ideas about what following Jesus looks like. And if you read those few verses, you start to pull out all these ideas. Because when you just read the story, there's a couple of things that stand out. The first, in my mind, is that following Jesus seems to involve a measure of abandonment, right? A, a willful abandonment. Take a look at verse 20. Remember that when Matthew says Peter and his brother Andrew heard Jesus' command, follow me, it says they left their nets and they got to Gideon, right? They left their nets and they went. In verse 22, in a really similar situation, John and his brother James are in the boat with their dad. And Jesus looks and says, follow me. And they drop thing, everything and they leave their dad in the boat and follow these verses show us how powerful it is to leave everything behind, to follow Jesus. These boats, these nets were more for Peter, James, John, Andrew, right, than, than just jobs. They're everything they had ever known. These nets and these boats were more than just employment. They represent ideas like security. They represent ideas like values. This wasn't a culture that had mobile and, and horizontal, mobi- I mean, a horizontal and, and vertical mobility. Right? You couldn't just go get another job. There was, no, there was no promotions. Your line of work was probably something you inherited from your dad. Right? That, that's what it meant. To lay down nets and to leave their father in the boat represented their lives, their plans, their future, family expectations, social expectations. It's everything they ever knew in a boat net. And Jesus looked at them and said, follow me. And everything they ever knew fell out of their hand. And they got out of a boat and said, I'm going. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what it would mean. They didn't know what people would say. They didn't know how their lives were going to change, if they were going to change anything. They just knew that they saw and met this Jesus. And they had to follow him. That's all they knew. It's a perfect example, actually, of of Jesus' command in the verse prior to this, when, when he himself, in verse 17, says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, turn away. Turn away from sin, from loyalties, from comforts. Turn away from those things. Abandon them and follow me. And they looked at him and said, absolutely. Friend, can I... uh?" 
can I lovingly ask you a challenging question? Thank you. I was going to ask it anyway, but I appreciate your response. Have you willfully abandoned former ways of life? When you've thought about the question, I want to follow Jesus. Will you follow me? Have you abandoned ways? Maybe it isn't leaving your job. Maybe it's not moving out of your parents' house or something like that, right? We live in a different culture now. But what ways of life, what loyalties, what comforts, what definitions of right and wrong have you put down and dropped saying, I'm following that man? I'm following that Jesus. Because hear me, following calls for willful abandonment. But it doesn't just call for willful abandonment. Another aspect and idea that we see here is that it calls for faithful obedience. It calls for an obedience that can almost be labeled sacrificial. Remember, the only reason they had abandoned anything was because they had heard a command from Jesus saying, follow me. He didn't say, y'all want to go on an adventure? Right? He didn't look at them and say, hey, y'all, are y'all down to like come to like hang out with me for a little bit? He looked at them and simply said, follow me. And they said, okay, yes. The yes was going to mean sacrifice. The yes was not going to be easy. We just got through saying the yes meant dropping and abandoning everything they had ever known. But their obedience was not going to be to ideas. Their obedience was not going to be to comfort. Their obedience was going to be to Jesus. You see, following Jesus requires willful abandonment. But friend, listen to me. It requires faithful obedience. Right? It requires being obedient to Jesus. And that sounds easy, right? It's easy to be in here and be like, yo, you just got to follow Jesus' directions. And everybody's be like, yeah, amen. Right? It's a lot different when your life gets mixed up into it. Right? And our hearts are yelling at us to choose this or to choose that to meet these needs that we feel creeping up in our hearts. And to pick back up former ways of life. Maybe to try to satisfy those needs and to meet those desires. It's a completely different beast to look at Jesus in those moments and say, I choose you. I choose what you say. I choose how you lead me. I think about a text like Acts 5, the 29, where these same men are confronted with a choice of preaching the gospel, a command that Jesus had given them, or maybe even receive beatings from, from the religious leaders of their day. And these same men who left these boats looked at these religious leaders and said, we must obey God rather than people. I can't help but wonder if these moments when sacrifice knocked at the door and following Jesus was in front of them, that they didn't look back at these moments and went, man, we did it then. And look what happened. I know it's scary. I know the thought of maybe getting reprimanded to obey in this moment is fearful, but it was probably fearful to let down those nets back there too. But we let them down and look what happened. So let's keep preaching. Can I ask you another hard question, friend? Because I love you. Where in your life is faithful obedience seen? Dare I say sacrificial obedience? Where obeying God is hard, but you're willing to do it anyway. I think about this oftentimes in, in an area like justice, right? We've talked about this a lot, and, and we talk about it a lot because it's an essential and, and, and it's an essential and critical part of what it means to follow Jesus. It can be hard to stand in the place of Jesus and declare that justice is for all people. It can be difficult to do that. Some of you, probably like me, have family members that lean conservative, right? If you don't know what that means, it means they vote Republican all the way down the deal. 
right? No, uniform. And it's oftentimes testy in those relationships and difficult to look at them and say that the systemic oppression that has plagued the black community and other communities of color is evil, wrong, and it has to change because people are made in God's image and deserve dignity, especially from the government. It can get real tense in those situations when especially in that line of political thinking, that's kind of frowned upon. But it can also be tense when we go to the other side because maybe you, like me, have some family members that lean liberal, AKA they vote Democrat. And then you sit there and say, but I am also as passionate about the sanctity of life in the womb and protecting innocent and helpless, like, like almost, unable to protect themselves babies and all of a sudden the situation and the conversation gets testy there right this environment is what it means to to be obedient even when it's sacrificial to stand in the middle and say no i will obey jesus and i will follow his definition of what's right his definition of what's wrong even if in the light of obedience i know that i'm going to have to sacrifice for it faithful obedience Following Jesus requires faithful, sacrificial obedience. And lastly, it requires humble dependence. That's the last thing I got from that text is it requires, uh, right, this willful abandonment. It requires this faithful, sacrificial obedience. But, but I think from the text, the biggest thing that we get is that requires dependence. At this point, we've covered willful and really like kind of kind of wild abandonment of our past life we've we've looked at what it means to to faithfully even sacrificially obey Jesus and at this point you might be thinking to yourself can I do this can I do this not is it worth it right because maybe you're here and thinking like no I think that it's worth it I think faith is worth it you've painted a picture of Jesus that seems pretty worth it I I want to understand what it means to follow Jesus and I think that he is amazing and I want to abandon everything I want to be able to look and say like yo I've abandoned the whole of my past life in order to pursue this Jesus I want to be able to look at you and say that I'm willing to sacrifice even life itself if it means that I'm obedient to Jesus but when I come here and hear that those are the requirements I'm not necessarily thinking is it worth it I'm really thinking can I can I follow Jesus Because if that's what's asked of me, I got to admit, I'm a little shaky on whether I can do that. I'm a little shaky on whether I'll be able to abandon everything and turn away. I'm a little shaky on whether I'll be able to sacrifice. Not just sometimes, I'm unsure if I can do that at all. That's a tall task. You've, You've requested a lot, Matthew. You've requested quite a bit. But I want to encourage you with the last point here, friend. More than anything... Following Jesus is about humble dependence. I want you to look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, talking to Peter and Andrew, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. I want you to notice something here. He didn't say follow me and you can become fishes of people, meaning you you can become someone that goes out and, and grabs them. He didn't say follow me, and now give you great opportunities to become something that you're not a, a fisher of people. He didn't say, follow me. And now give you all the tools to make yourself fishers of people. Follow me and, and you'll have amazing opportunities to rework yourself and give yourself a grand makeover. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Follow me and I will make you fishers 
of people. In other words, this call to follow is not a call to follow Jesus, but depend on self. His call is, he didn't say, follow me, depend on you, and we'll figure out along the way. The call is to follow Jesus and depend on Jesus. Follow me and depend on me. Friends, this call to follow is not easy. But what makes it beautiful is that we're not called to follow Jesus and give ourselves a makeover along the way. He comes to us and says, follow me and I will make you what you are not. I'll make you what you desire to be. All I need for you to do is follow me. That truth. And hear me, this is where it gets amazing because this character of Jesus runs through the fullness of the gospel. It runs through the fullness of everything Jesus does. He looks at us and says, be holy. And then he goes to the cross to make us holy. He calls us to be righteous. And then he resurrects in order to give us his spirit so we can live righteous. Jesus calls us to partner with him in making the world right. And so he comes into the darkness of the world and lives the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died and resurrects and calls us to himself so that he can make us right. He didn't say, hey, come make everything right and we'll work on you. No, I'm going to make you right and then you come with me and we're going to make everything right. What an amazing idea. Thank you. I mean, it's worth getting excited about it if I'm being 100% honest. Right, Jesus calls us alongside of him, even more, right? He calls us to follow him, not by saying, Jesus, I'm coming after you. I'm going to follow in your footsteps. Following is not following in Jesus' footsteps. Following Jesus is falling into his arms and saying what I am not right now, will you in your infinite power, the ruler of all things, God with us, the amazing, gracious king, but the righteous judge, will you make me? the things that I currently am not. Our job in following Jesus, first and foremost, friends, is a call to depend on him. Yes, abandonment is, is essential and it's required. Yes, obedience is called for and necessary, but the only way we accomplish those things is when we understand that we can't accomplish those things. The only time we understand I can do that is when we understand I can't do that. And say to God, here is my life. Here is all that I am. I'm not sure I can get to where you've said I need to go, but I'm willing to give myself to you and to allow you in your infinite wisdom to make me the things that I'm not, but you're calling me to. And he looks back and says, well, that's all I needed. That's all I wanted. My call and ask was not for you to make yourself right. And to make yourself into what I, you think I need you to be. My call is for you to follow me. That's it. This is why Matthew paints such a powerful picture of Jesus. Because we need to remember who we're leaning on. Who we're following. Who we're depending on. This majestic and powerful king. We don't follow a new set of rules or a new set of, of self-help ideas. We follow the king that makes all things new. Including you. That's the truth of who we are called to follow today. Um, when uh, this whole idea makes me think about when I came to faith, I, I don't know how many have heard this story, uh, but I was a wild boy. All right, I was uh, I was a wild boy, 
And I'm, I'm going to spare you the history of my life, and I'm just going to start at about 17 when, uh, when, like so many other stories, I had a high school breakup, and then a high school breakup led to uh, pursuing music and copious amounts of drug use. And I began to lean and depend on these things. It wasn't anything, quote, unquote, hard, but, man, I must have smoked weed like eight, nine times a day. I was at church every morning, every Sunday. I didn't miss church, but you know what? I was sky high at church. This became the thing, the means by which I thought, if I can, if I can just keep tapping into this, maybe this will, will really pour into me. And maybe through the means of smoking, I can be creatively better uh, at music. Maybe I can, I can kind of forget frustrations, angers, pains of the past. Right? May, maybe this thing will kind of just go, like, coast me through my life. And it became not just the thing that I needed to survive. It became the thing that discipled me. I turned to the, the fountain of that drug to say, hey, can you help me out today? You tell me when to come. My schedule will work around you. You tell me what to do. I won't do the things that stop me from coming to you. You can tell me and shape me however you want to. But somehow the lies of what it would provide never seem to actually satisfy. And nothing ever seemed to hit the mark and leave me completely done. Like I don't ever gotta take another hit of this, right? I'm good, never seemed to happen. So by the time I was 19, I was a 19-year-old, empty, broken, shell of the young man that my dad had raised, that my mom had raised, wandering through life, lost and empty, until one day the seeds that God had started putting into my life from when I was a child began to sprout. He started working. And it didn't be, it didn't, it wasn't because I started being like, you know what? Oh, there's something better than this. It was because somehow, some way in the fog of darkness and emptiness, Knox came every day. Knox that said, hey, you're forgiven. Knox that said, hey, I'm here. Knox that said, hey, brother, I know you're out there getting busy. I know you're out there doing wild stuff. Follow me. Follow me. And at 19, in the middle of the week, on a day I can't even remember because I was probably sky high, I walked into a church. It was the church my dad was pastoring at the time. I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to help me and I got up and I didn't even smoke weed anymore. I didn't, I'm not saying I went in there with the intention of praying so that I could not smoke weed anymore. I went in there with the intention of asking God to help me, understanding that maybe this is something I'll have to give up along the way. And when I got up, who I wasn't when I came to the feet of the Savior was who I already was when I got up from a moment of prayer. Because my life in his hands was more than I could possibly do in the midst of everything I was pursuing. The creator, the Savior, the King who came to the world to make me new just needed me to say, I'm following you. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to change. But you know what? Here I am. And he took care of the rest. This is our call today, friends. To be faithfully obedient 100%. We will talk about obedience through the course of the next several weeks several times. To be willfully abandoned, whatever, however to phrase that. To be willfully abandoning or whatever, right? Like that right there, we'll talk about that several different ways over the course of the next few weeks. But the call at the root of everything we're talking about here is the call to look at this Jesus and say, I depend and give myself to you. I'm following you. Here's my life. That's what the next few weeks are going to be about. 
And I'm extremely excited about what the Lord is going to do in our lives individually and how he's going to teach us to collectively come together as people that not just individually but collectively depend on God. We have a church to launch in the next several months. We have a church to launch. Are we going to sit there and strive in our own strength or are we going to humbly say, God, I'm depending on you? I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do through the course of the next few weeks, and I hope you are too. I encourage you to, to dive in, to settle in, and to ask the Lord to begin to shape and form our lives. Let's go ahead and pray uh, as we close up today. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, I ask that as we go over the next few weeks that you would allow us to start taking inventory of our hearts, take inventory of our lives. Allow us to consider where it is that, that we have abandoned our former ways and what loyalties we are still clinging to. Allow us to consider where we are strong in obedience to you and, and, and also where we seem to struggle in obedience to you. Holy Father, I ask that you would not allow us to just consider the work of our hands, but rather in all of that, you would allow our hearts to be drawn to dependence on you. That following you would not be this idea of us just simply being better people, but that following you in the depths of what it means in our hearts and our lives would be to give ourselves to you in humble dependence, love, and affection. I love you and I thank you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.